Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. It's really going to be up to President Zelensky to determine if and when he's ready to sit down and negotiate. The Russian army, they've essentially been routed. For the media to create this narrative that it's there's no hope and there's this blue wave rising, I think that's absurd. She sets an example of selfless duty. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. Uh, This news just breaking, Ken Starr, the noted attorney who uh, helped impeach uh, President Clinton, the whole, remember the Whitewater scandal, which really got bigger and bigger and anyway ended up going into the impeachment, passed away in Houston, Texas today from complications from a surgery. It doesn't say... This, the story we're referring to out of Fox doesn't say what the surgery was. Uh, his son, Randall, said we're deeply saddened at the loss of our dear and loving father and grandfather, whom we admire for his ethic, uh, work ethic and uh, his the love, energy, endearing sense of humor. Fun-loving interest Dad exhibited to each of us was truly special. We will cherish the many wonderful memories we're able to experience with him. He is now with his Lord and Savior. And, uh, of course, it was uh, Ken Starr, who uh, he was born in 46 in Vernon, Texas. And, um, by the way, he's got a connection to uh, North Carolina. He attended Duke Law School, graduated from there in 73, and really had a uh, just a, a meteor-like uh, uh, acceleration in his career. Uh, clerk for an appellate uh, judge after he uh, graduated from law school two-year clerkship with the Supreme Court under uh, Warren Berger from 75 and 77 um, and uh, experienced, uh, landed him a job in the Justice Department under Reagan in 1983 at age 37. He was nominated by Reagan to serve on the U.S. District Court of Appeals, served as a judge till 89, and then served as Solicitor General by President George H.W. Bush in the role star represented the federal government in front of the Supreme Court and a bunch of different matters. In uh, 1990, he was considered a front-runner to replace Associate Justice William Brennan on the Supreme Court. Bush opted instead to put David Souter on there. That was a huge mistake. <laughs> Just consider how the, the, mm-hmm. the decisions of the United States Supreme Court would have been so much different had it been uh, Starr instead. Uh, after Bush lost re-election in 92 to Clinton, Starr ventured into private practice, joining the firm of Kirkland and Ellis. Starr was at the firm when the special three-judge panel appointed him to oversee the Whitewater affair in August of 94. Under Starr's watch, the probe grew to include hundreds of staffers, costing taxpayers more than $52 million over a six-year period, uh, span. Um, and, of course, uh, the, you know, the Clintons basically were guilty, but... Got away with it, more or less. Well, people kept dying. Uh, <laughs> witnesses. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fortunately, uh, fortunately, Star lived to uh, up up to this surgery uh, today, uh, passing away. Uh, and was 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 I right? He was at Pepperdine. He was a law professor at Pepperdine, but he, then he became president of Baylor University. Okay, and, so uh, he did go back to Texas, like in uh, you know mid two thousands or late two thousands to. Maybe uh, just about 2017 or 18 or something. He will be buried at the Texas State Cemetery in Austin. So uh, God rest his soul. Yeah, he was a very committed, uh, outspoken uh, Christian. And uh, 
as his son said, he is now with his Lord and Savior. So uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, how's that working for you? <laughs> how's it working, Joe? Uh, about 4% decline in the stock market. And inflation. Four, was it 4%? Was that the final? 4%. What uh, happened? Dow about 1,200 points. All, just about all indices, 4% decline. Uh, it was interesting. The futures were up a couple hundred points this morning. Well, Apparently, they thought it was the inflation was going to continue that to subside. Yeah, that 830 announcement just kind of – it went from up like 1.5% to down 2% just in a matter of minutes. Wow. The uh, White House, is, uh, believe it or not, was actually planning – and maybe they're, they probably still did it. They were planning a big celebration today because they passed the Inflation Reduction Act. <laughs> sort of like the uh, Hillary, Hillary Clinton fireworks display when she was going <laughs> <laughs> when she was going to win the uh, win the uh, presidency. Uh. Yeah, those fireworks uh, went for for El Cheapo. So uh, not good news at all. Grocery prices continued to rise the fastest. Um, they, those prices rose 0.7% from July, 13% from the previous year. Restaurant prices up 09 Yeah, the Inflation Reduction Act, not so much. Um, natural gas up 33% from a year ago. Mm. And it's warm outside. Yeah. And it's warm in Europe. Yeah. What is it going to be in four months from now? Well, you know, uh, winter's coming, and the second largest economy in the world is the EU, the economic, the uh, European Union. And it's cold in the European Union. And did you see what <laughs> And it's the, not winter uh, yet. Did you see what the UN said today? No, I didn't. I missed that. Breitbart is reporting, while the world, and Europe especially, is facing its worst energy crisis in generations – the United Nations has warned Europe. Now, I, you know, what, what do they mean warned Europe? Are they going to do something if Europe doesn't obey? Warned Europe that a return to fossil fuels in response to soaring prices and winter shortages must not be considered under any circumstances. Russia has reduced supplies of gas to Europe since its invasion in Ukraine, sending fuel prices soaring, while supply chain issues in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic have also hit deliveries. And by the way, their uh, Nord Stream 2 pipeline, Russia came out uh, a few days ago and said, ah, we've got some technical problems. Mm-hmm. And uh, which, you know, I, I doubt if there's any technical problems, but uh, they're not going to deliver. They're holding back. They're focused on losing uh, but, losing troops. <laughs> but would, would people yeah, – yeah, they're getting – yeah, that that's a whole other story. I mean, they're, they're getting really upended – by the Ukrainians. Hammered and sickled. <laughs> oh, I like that. But, I mean, consider the position that the United States would be in right now if everything were the same, but we still had the Trump policies related to our energy exploration, our energy delivery with the XL pipeline, our energy with fracking. Uh, our energy exports that Donald Trump had had really a well-oiled machine, which uh, tr- uh, Biden came in and immediately shut the whole thing down. But consider, consider th- the billions, if not trillions of dollars that we could be generating. I mean, the experts have said we have as much energy reserves in the United States as anyone else in the world. Mm-hmm. 
And yet Biden thinks he's doing the world and his people a favor by not letting it be exported, not letting it be developed, not letting it be explored. And what it, what's even worse than that is the, the transfer of wealth, that wealth, to Russia, to Saudi Arabia. and Our other, enemies. Yeah, our, and, and people that really uh, <laughs> hate everyone in the world except themselves, really. Yeah. I mean, and and United States and Israel are on the top of that list of those they hate the most. So, uh, yeah, it is uh, it is not good. You're paying more for everything. Uh, inflation is hardly going in the right direction at all. Uh, I, yeah, again, eating out, eat, eating. Period. Whether you're eating out or eating in, it's costing you thirteen percent more. And consider this. When you say 13% more, you say, well, 13%, is that a big deal? It's basically a, a, a month of your expenses. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm, I'm rounding it off, yeah, but it's basically a month of your expenses. So can you go a, a month? Could I mean, do you, now, I, I, many of our listeners, perhaps they, they say, I can handle that. But there are families out there that are mm-hmm. living week to week. Yeah, it's not going to affect the ultra elite, and it's not going to affect someone. Um, yeah, you know, it, it might affect uh, it might affect my choices of what I what I choose to do, but it's really not going. to You know, say, hey, can I make ends meet this week? Right. And there's a lot of people that do that, that are going to say yes. And the people that make decisions and make flippant comments, like in Washington, about you know this inflation Redu- reduction act and make little of the inflation rate and has its grunt. I mean, it doesn't affect them at all. So. Uh, you know, they, they live in a bubble and they don't care what happens to the people. Joe Biden, in response, well, this is what he said yesterday before the inflation news came out and before the stock market took a nosedive today. Quote, the American people should have confidence that we're on the right track, that we're seeing real progress. <laughs> and I, I would say, why should we have confidence? Because your Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, that was the Fed chair prior to that, said when all this came out, we're not, we're not going to have inflation. We, no, prices are okay. Okay, when we had inflation, Temporary at best. this is transitory inflation. You exactly. know, introduced a new technical term that we're supposed to nod our heads. So, okay, transitory, it's transitory. transitory. And now – and then after that, well, well, it's not transitory. It's a little worse than we thought, but it's it's not going to hang around long. Well, it continues to go up, and we're not in a recession. They tell us it's not in a recession when when we say you know tip, typical tip by typical definition we are in a recession. So so why should we trust anything out of this administration or any of the people that he puts in power, whether it be Janet Yellen or or any of these economic advisors that are carted out in the mainstream media weekly to convince us that, hey, things aren't bad? Well, you're crazy if you do believe it. But I will say this. The American people should have confidence that we're on the right track. Hmm. I think I think he is on his right track. Maybe, maybe you're right. I think he is on his right track. Well, you know, he, well, didn't, he didn't know what tracks he's on. Well, yeah, <laughs> just don't go wandering down the railroad track with a train coming, Joe. Um, but but the, the, the progressives, they are on their right track. I, I mean, we are talking before we went on the air. You know, the, there used to be a time where people would say, and to some degree this was true, and it wasn't that many decades ago, but I will say it was decades ago, that you would have people come up and say, look, we both want the same thing. 
the Republicans and the Democrats both want the same thing. You know, they want to be able to have the American people enjoy their liberty, have a good living, have their freedoms, you know, take get a good job, raise a family. But but they have two different ways of getting there. That's not true anymore. No, it's not. That is not even close to being the truth anymore. Now it is we've got an agenda on the left and it is diametrically opposed to the agenda on the right. And if there's a theme of today's program, it's it. In fact, after the break, I want to take you back to something that happened at East Carolina University, which will make your skin crawl. We've mentioned it in the past when it happened just briefly, but I really want to delve into it today. But th- this idea of what track are you on, and again, you know, you have poll after poll, and it's usually in the high 70s or close to 80% of Americans that say America is on the wrong track. We're headed in the wrong direction. We're, we're not where we need to be. And yet when Joe Biden says, hey, have confidence in us, we're on the right track, I think that this is the track that these liberals want to be in, on, whether it's whether it's inflation, whether it's energy, whether it is uh, defunding the police department, crime, whether it's putting uh, a, a term, you know, public defenders uh, or, pro- or prosecutors or attorney generals or whatever you know the different uh, labels are uh, that are George Soros backed and and want to let the criminals go free, uh, you know, all you know, homelessness, letting people out of jail with no bail, open borders. I mean, nobody can be that stupid on all these things all the time and it not be deliberate. And the ultimate goal, the the agenda now, and and I don't think they hide it. I mean, Bernie Sanders has never hide it, but the Democrat platform doesn't hide it. The ultimate agenda is complete totalitarian control of things. And the only way for that to happen is to to system to absolutely implode and crumble upon itself. And this whole, to your point of... You know, these George Soros-backed DAs and the funded police movements and that type of thing, you know, rabid crime. Our American cities are getting where you cannot even go to an American city anymore. And now all that's by design because finally it's going it's to get the people to the point of, okay, I give up. You're right. We need you, government. Yeah. I'll, I'll oh, give, yeah. I'll you're you're up, our new savior. I'll give up my liberty for my security as we oh, talked and about you yesterday. Won't, and you're not going to have either. You're and not going to have liberty or security. And it's, it is – it is the open agenda of the Democrat Party now, and people that keep ignoring it just because they're Democrats, they're lifelong Democrats, and that's my party, that's my fraternity, I'm going to support them. It's time for you to wake the hell up and pay attention to what's going on. Well, again, my friend Harry Reader has said often, a revolution is you celebrating what was once condemned and condemning what was once celebrated. And that's exactly what the Democrats are doing. That's exactly what the progressives are doing. Well, from a biblical standpoint, what was it in Isaiah? What was once wrong is right, and what was once right is wrong. Yeah. I think it was in Isaiah, maybe. And, uh, yeah, New Testament, everyone is, you know, everyone is doing, or the Old Testament, everyone is doing what was right in their own eyes. And New Testament, uh, you know, people are going to say, certain people are going to say, you know, what is good is evil, and what is evil is good. And uh, it's uh, that's... That is where we see – and I don't think it's where the majority of Americans are. I really don't. I think it is a, it's a, a minority, but they have managed to get into positions of power and control. Yeah, and unfortunately, unfortunately, I truly believe this. The majority of Americans are, number one, 
either stupid, <laughs> lazy, or just plain willfully ignorant to yeah, I'd, I'd to, say to I would say yeah. I mean, Whether that, it's ninety percent or or fifty one percent, but I would say the majority. I yeah. don't think the yeah. majority that are paying attention um, agrees with all this, but the majority are not paying attention. Well, there, there's fortunately, if there's a silver lining, I think they have to begin to be paying attention because it's in their face. I mean, when they can't eat, when they can't pay their bills, when they can't fill their cars up with gasoline. And listen, Janet Yellen, yes, originally she said it was transitory inflation. I don't know if you saw, I think it was yesterday or over the weekend, she said, well, you know, we might see a spike in, in energy cost again. Yeah. Well, yeah, you think? Yeah. Like uh, maybe November 6th <laughs> or the day I, after the election, whatever yeah, the election is. I don't like to make predictions, uh, but after the midterms, when we start rolling in January, February, March, it, it's going to be ugly. I mean, it, it really is. I mean, the European Union is second largest economy in the world and they de- depend just like everyone else they depend on fossil fuels yeah. let's face it and they it's cold there <laughs> oh yeah and yeah. Th- we hadn't seen what energy prices is going to do yet yeah pray for a mild winter i, I mean really uh, it's it's uh, it's coming stay with us more news and views is coming we'll be right back This is your Drive at Five, an ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Well, Benny, congratulations. They finally have a uh, special day to commemorate you. Don't say National Bald is Beautiful Day. (laughs) (laughs) You're beautiful, buddy. Uh. Yeah. If I had my choice, though, I would have my (laughs) beautiful blonde hair that I once owned. You still own it. It's just in a drawer somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Take a quick look at your weather forecast. Some clouds tonight. A very pleasant low of 59 degrees. Uh, tomorrow, partly cloudy skies. A high of 82. Partly cloudy tomorrow night. A low of 58. Thursday, some afternoon clouds. Otherwise, sunshine with a high of 84. And we are entering the most beautiful time of year in eastern North Carolina by far. Low humidity, pleasant temperatures, cool nights. I love it. Let's just hope it's not false fall, <laughs> where we have another one of those ninety plus days. But I think well, it's probably if we do, it will be shortly. Yeah, I don't. Th- I think it's pretty. And it is great golf weather. Whether you're looking to spend your fall courtside or greenside, Ironwood Golf and Country Club offers a variety of memberships tailored to fit your lifestyle, with no initiation fee required. Remember, if you're headed to the beach this fall, pack your clubs because Ironwood members receive reciprocal golf and dining privileges at the Beaufort Club in Beaufort and Compass Point and uh, Magnolia Greens down near Wilmington. For more information, contact Membership Director Jenna Doyle. Her number is area code 252-752-4653. Join in the fun at Ironwood today, a part of the Renaissance Golf Group. Well, this happened um, a couple of weeks back. And uh, it was a part of the faculty convocation, which takes place just prior to the students coming in. I mean, the students probably were already trickling in back in uh, mid-August, late August. August 19th, in fact, was the convocation. And just like all major universities in the state and around the country, they have these faculty convocations. Uh, Usually, they're rather dry, talking about, first of all, introducing the new faculty and staff, 
and then talking about things that have changed, you know, changes into the syllabus, uh, you know, the practices. And, you know, there's a couple of speeches from the deans and blah, blah, blah. Usually pretty dry, predictable stuff. This year at East Carolina University, and listen, I know a lot of people love the university, and I know it's a, it's a uh, powerful economic engine to uh, eastern North Carolina, and particularly in the, in the Greenville area. But still, you've got to talk about this because if it don't, you know, don't put blinders on. Don't think, oh, that's happening. That's happening at UCLA, or that's happening at Berkeley, but it's not happening here. So uh, ECU administrators um, got up, and you know, th- there was some of this expected things that that are talked about. Um, talked about priorities, um, you know. And they got into some virtue signaling. The event opened with a so-called land acknowledgement. And by the way, this article is out of the James G. Martin Center for Academic Renewal. If you go to that website, James G. Martin Center for Academic Renewal, you can read the entire article. I'm just going to hit some highlights. Um, So the convocation opened with a so-called land acknowledgement homage to the original custodians of the soil on which the school was built, the Tuscarora tribe, which is new information to me. But um, here's my question. though. So there was really sort of an apology to the Tuscarora tribe that we are illegally sitting on your land. So those people that believe that, those academicians who, who, who live in the area, and look, if, if ECU is on the Tuscarora tribe land, then I imagine the homes of these professors that are pushing this propaganda, their homes are sitting on the same land. So I would ask you professors, put your money where your mouth is. <laughs> if you believe this is the great sin, sell your house, sell the land on your that your home is, is sitting on, and I'm sure somewhere you can find the Tuscarora descendants, or there's probably some they're in New York. I can tell you where they are. Well, they, you probably can. Because they come down to have a celebration every year in Greene County where the uh, Tuscarone Wars occurred. There you go. So, Well, yeah. I, I, I'm sure there's some organization that these professors could sell their assets, sell mm-hmm. their home, and give the money to the Tuscarora tribe. And j- contact Benny. He'll get, yeah. I, <laughs> you can, you can present a check to them when the next time they get together. Yeah, they actually have a really nice monument on a farm uh, not far from a farm that I have. Um, and I guess within with maybe the last four or five years, they had like 300-plus tribe really? m- members come wow. down and have a uh, memorial service there for the – you know, the great uh, Tuscarawan War that occurred in the uh, late 1700s, I think it was uh, – Mid seventeen hundreds, actually. Uh, well, anyway, the the Tuscarora yeah. acknowledgement mm-hmm. homage is the a rather low part, of, but yeah, a, to, a, a small part to this convocation. I mean, that was that was sort of a sidebar <laughs> issue. It actually opened with it. I listened to it. I listened. It was a link on ECU's website online. Uh, I had actually got some notifications from some faculty that this was occurring in the agenda. And the agenda pretty much followed like it was. If they opened with this, maybe a couple of minutes at most. Um, the Chancellor, Philip Rogers, uh, maybe had about five minutes. And the rest of the 50, 55 minutes was all about what you're getting ready to talk about. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. 
with a special emphasis on people of color, critical race theory, and uh, LGBTQ plus AI, whatever, <laughs> all the alphabet soup. I would actually say that 45 minutes of the hour was all LGBTQ. Convocation proceeded, and Tickner, chair of the faculty and professor of the college education, gave remarks titled, Making the Secret Hurt Visible. What is the secret hurt? According to Tickner, it consists of the right-wing legislation that has recently been enacted throughout the nation, as well as the toll this legislation has taken on faculty and students who identify as PIBOC. That would be black or indigenous people of color or LGBTQ. These laws are, in Trickner's words, increasing the secret hurt by erasing, ignoring, and silencing the alleged victims in question. More specifically, Tickner continued, these bills have been focused on restricting the teaching of critical race theory, suppressing the 1619 Project, which is fictional. Of, of course we're suppressing it. Of course, we should suppress it. As a matter of fact, the developer of the 1619 Project, uh, Miss um, Nicole, uh, Hannah Nicole. Hannah Nicole. How quickly we forget. <laughs> I, I'm thinking, Jones. Jones? I think it might be right, yeah. Uh, anyway, um, after some pushback from the academic community across the country, historical academic community across the country, which was liberal professors, liberal universities, yeah. After a lot of pushback, she finally said it's not a piece of history. It's a piece of literature. It's a piece of fiction. It's fiction, fiction yeah. <laughs> and, and Tickner said, and they're, they're banning literature. So apparently Tickner thinks this is all very legitimate uh, factual historical documents. Tickner went on to discuss the report put out earlier this year by AAUP. That's the American Association of University Professors. And, yeah, you can imagine how liberal they are condemning the UNC system for being overly political, limiting academic freedom, and perpetuating racism. Uh, the Martin Center gave a response to these professors who put out this statement. As the voice of ECU's faculty, Tickner described the AAUP's report as compelling and implored ECU to, quote, do better by their faculty and students. And by the way, the condemnation by the American Association of University Professors on UNC, and you say to yourself, wait a minute, UNC is being, you know, they're, they're being condemned for being racist? Um, the, the American Association of University Professors put out this statement because of the conservative North Carolina legislature and the steps they have taken to rein in the runaway, progressive, woke, partisan professors and administrators. Listen, whenever progressives don't have free reign, those curbing their desires are branded as racist, racist phobic, and oppressors. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what they're doing. This is exactly what Tickner was doing and, uh, the, and the, what the American Association of University Professors were doing. And Tickner just carried the water for him. Needless to say, most of Tickner's remarks were personal opinions, ramblings rather than anything overtly related to teaching. 
Despite her role as the chair of the whole faculty, Tickner clearly favors one political side of the aisle over the other. This raises serious questions about the neutrality of the university at large. How can the institution remain nonpartisan if the chair of the faculty can so blatantly pontificate about politics on formal university time? Bingo. Thank you. Now, we know this has been going on for decades, but now they're so out in front with it. I mean, they're just, I mean, you know, it's, it's, their leanings have been there, but when they speak in public, they used to try to hide it. Yeah. Not anymore. Those days are long gone. How can the institution remain nonpartisan if the chair of the faculty pontificates about politics on formal university time? Following those spirited remarks, there were two presentations about making more inclusive spaces for our community and region. The first was called, and again, as, as Benny said, remember, this whole thing lasted maybe 60 minutes, maybe a little over 60 minutes. Just about minutes. an hour. It's right in an hour. Mm-hmm. 45 minutes was this crap. Mm-hmm. The first was titled LGBTQ Plus Health Initiatives, was presented by Brandon Kyle, Associate Professor of the Brody School of Medicine, Kyle, the chair of the Health Sciences Sexual and Gender Diversity Committee, shared the mission of his organization to, quote, foster a campus climate that is inclusive of and welcoming toward LGBTQ individuals to promote information relevant to the LGBTQ health and education curriculum and to support the best practices in the LGBTQ healthcare. Listen, if you're a part of the LGBTQ community, I don't think anybody, including myself, I, I, you know, I want you to be treated with respect. Absolutely. I want you to same, have the same health care benefits that every other student has. I don't have any problem with that. I would encourage that, and I would, I would fight for you on those principles. But the truth of the matter is these are not the same things that every other student gets. When they were propagating this stuff, I mean, first of all, if you come in, live your life, the idea that live and let live, that's long gone. Mm-hmm. It is now come in and you have to celebrate our lifestyle. And this is why we have and case after case after case, and it continues on, even after the Supreme Court decides it, it still continues on. You have these, these kind of cases come up where an LGBTQ student comes in and decides, you know what, I want to be on the leadership board of some campus ministry. And that campus minister said, well, wait a minute, you know, you, what you believe it doesn't coincide with what we believe, and it would be improper for us to do that. Then they go and they sue. And you have the American Civil Liberties Union pick up the mantle and run and sue the, 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 the group. And the next thing you know, they've got to either come up with the money to defend themselves or they've got to go find, you know, some uh, benevolent group to, to do the uh, handle the lawsuit for them. I mean, it's it's not as if this is just a neutral playing field of live and let live. That's long, long gone. Yeah, and the way, the way I understand it works, you know, I respect the faculty to elect. You know, the faculty senate, I think, is four to five, six people. I can't remember. And that's elected by the faculty. And, the, and they, you know, uh, elect a chair. Dr. Tickner is a chair of the faculty. So, I mean, I respect the faculty to, to elect whoever they want to represent them. But at the same time, th- these progressives and Dr. Tickner, I-, I listened to her presentation and her her part of the, you know, she ran the she ran the uh, convocation because she's chair. But she had I don't know five, eight, ten minute presentation of her own that was completely hyper partisan. That if someone 
someone got up there and was hyperpartisan on the conservative side, oh. it would have been an outrage, <laughs> an absolute outrage. The person would have been fired. And the problem, the problem with that is, okay, you're the chair. You're the chair. You should, and a term that they like to use, because I hear it all the time, underrepresented and marginalized communities. Well, if you spend the whole damn hour on one particular community, everybody else is underrepresented yeah. and marginalized. Yeah. So, so basically, the conservative Christians or whatever you want to, you know, whatever group you want to bring forward, you know, the Jewish uh, coalition or whatever, they are underrepresented. It's not the LGBTQ community that's underrepresented, according to her standards. And as chair of the faculty, she, you know, you go. I mean, you go to the website. You can look at her bio and what her what her positions are and what her focus is. Um, I mean, you know, she's entirely focused on her advocacy only for herself. What she did and that one hour was completely selfish. It's not what a chair of the faculty should do. The chair of the faculty should represent the people that put her in place in the first place, not the advocacy for what her her only thing, her only topic is. And I think I think the faculty was uh, done a disservice. And I had multiple faculty members have reached out to me um, because they're afraid to speak up. They share with me the agenda. They share with me the link to the meeting. There's re- reason I listen to it. And well, you had a whistleblower contact you originally about hey, you better listen into this. Yep, absolutely. And how that. That person and other uh, faculty members and chairs are just afraid to speak up because this is the complete agenda. And look, we're just coming out of pandemic where not only our our students in our uh, elementary and high schools and middle schools, you know, fell back on education. Our college students fell back on education because of this pandemic. Oh, yeah. And and to to spend the entire hour on this subject. When we have so many things, when we had st- students that suffered from depression and isolation because of they couldn't go anywhere, they couldn't go to class, they had to take everything online. Um, you know, a- alcohol and drug use at all time high, all time high. The number one cause of death of eighteen to thirty six years old. You know what it is? Fentanyl overdose. Yeah, overdose. Yeah. Yeah. And so all the things that our college kids and East Carolina is no different. What they're dealing with, and this is all she wanted to talk about. Yeah. Uh, it is. I tell you what, I'm not done with this yet. There, there's more to come. That, that you think, okay, was that it? No, that was not it. There's more. We got to take a break. Stay with us. We'll cover the rest of it when we get back. Back to news and views. Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right. We're talking about this uh, article written by Ashlyn uh, Warta out of the James G. Martin Center for Academic Renewal. And this actually happened back on uh, August the 19th. It was a convocation for the faculty. And this is just very frustrating. We, we talked about it, just covered it briefly when it happened and I did not watch it live. I've read some articles about it since and talked in length to, to Benny about what happened that day. He did watch the whole convocation online as did the author of this article. But the article goes on uh, after this Brandon Kyle got up and you know, had his little speech on fostering a, a campus climate that's inclusive and welcoming toward LGBTQ individuals. We talked about that. Sierra Buckman, 
Director of Pediatric Research at the Brody School of Medicine, followed Kyle's remarks by opening with her name and pronouns, stating that sharing the latter upon introduction is, quote, one of the first steps in the direction of becoming a more inclusive campus. Buckman went on to say that after five years at ECU, she feels that the climate is completely different now than when she started. Whether or not taxpayers should applaud, the metamorphosis was not addressed. So by introducing your pronouns, uh, you're more inclusive. Now, what's, what's so aggravating about this is if you get the pronouns wrong, which can be totally fluid, you can be he in the morning and she at midday and it in the afternoon. Yeah, according to them, it's a moving target. It's a moving target. And <laughs> if you get it wrong, in some places of the country, you can be sued for it. Now, how is that inclusive? Sounds to me like it is being very exclusive that if you're not on the inside track, in the pronoun track, then we can isolate you, persecute you, and sue you for not celebrating what we think ought to be celebrated. And they call that inclusive. Buckman shared many of the struggles faced by the LGBTQ plus individuals in the medical industry, stating that Eastern North Carolina is the healthcare desert for members of those communities. Well, you know, the, the, the LGBT community, where they want to mutilate children, well, they want to m- remove their genitals, remove their breasts because they have gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria is real. The vast majority of kids grow out of it. It just, it just happens. As they mature, they grow out of it. But we've now got a medical community that wants to literally uh, cause child abuse, physical child abuse upon these kids. And I don't think that's the majority of the community. I think the majority of the community is afraid to speak up, afraid, no, no, afraid no, to lose but, their job. But but the majority of the medical community. I, I thanks you for for clarifying that because I, I don't want to. I want to. I do want to clarify that the majority of the medical community that believes what this woman believes. Mm-hmm. Following the remarks by Kyle and Buckman was a segment entitled "Celebrating the LGBT Community Through Campus Col- uh, Collaboration." This talk was presented by uh, Angela Wells, Associate Professor in the School of Art and Design, and Mark Rasdorf, Senior Associate Director and the Intercultural Affairs Director at the Dr. Reese R. Peel LGBTQ Center. Did you know we had an LGBTQ center? Yes, we do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In their segment, Wells and Rastoff discussed an LGBTQ plus photography uh, exhibition, which has taken place at ECU since 2016. They shared the details of each exhibition year by year, as well as the same resulting uh, photos. So what what other expedition, expositions have we had? I mean, does... The, uh, I mean, do, do every little segment have have their opportunity to get up there and promote uh, their little niche? Well, it's another case of uh, really dividing people and yeah. separating people. I mean, if you want to if you want to normalize it, that's fine. I don't think it's normal for me, but just just live and let live. But don't let me. As I said earlier, don't, let me de- don't demonize me for non agreeing with. You. Those days are long gone. But listen. Community, is this what you want? I mean, are Benny and I in the wrong? Are, are we? Are we the ones that are out of step? I don't think so. But yet, uh, go unchecked. This is going to continue. Stay with us. We'll be right back. 
news and views. He's kind of a diva. He's absolutely fascinating. A gentleman spy, irresistible to women, deadly to his enemies, a legend in his own time. You won't believe what he's going to say next on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Here's Tom Lemprecht. Welcome back in. The Daily Caller is reporting that the Hilda Beast has named her gutsiest woman in politics. I'm exhausted. <laughs> what do you think? Who do you think she would pick? Hillary Clinton. I would say... Besides herself. She didn't pick herself, which I thought she would have, but... Uh, pro- I'd probably say uh, Elizabeth Warren. You're close. Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> yeah. Clinton told CNN that Pelosi is the gutsiest woman in politics right now because she is. I will do anything. (laughs) You'll do anything, yeah. She's also the drunkest in politics. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe she thought, maybe she said, who was the uh, tipsiest? No, it was gutsiest. (laughs) Um, She says she gets up every day, puts on those high heels, wears the suit to fight for the values and ideals that she strongly believes in. Maybe she likes her because they both wear (laughs) pantsuits all the time. If that's not bad enough, Clinton also compared. Now, this is uh, this is un, un, unbelievable considering the Queen just died. She also compared the Speaker to the late Queen Elizabeth II, arguably one of the most disrespectful things she could have possibly done. <laughs> the monarch just passed away, and you're comparing this tipsy, lush mm. Pelosi, who is incoherent, thoughtless, That's not partisan. <laughs> To the most poised, respectful, democratic woman in modern his- modern history, uh, yeah, I mean, this is a special sort of stupid that uh, Clinton uh, portrayed. Uh, you know, showed us all. Uh, she also said Vice President Kamala Harris was another gutsy woman. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, one almost feels sympathy for Hillary, but not really. Uh, she wants to ha- have revel- relevance. And she thinks her she thinks so highly of herself that she thinks making such statements will have some sort of life altering effect on others, which obviously it doesn't. And her own party wants her to go away. Yeah, and she don't realize it. And twenty years from now, she won't be a blip in the history books. I mean, just twenty years, people say, "Who? Hillary? Who? Unbelievable." Hey, thanks for being with us. Uh, We'll do it again tomorrow at 5. We'll see you then. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right, all right.